Well, as we mentioned in the announcements at the beginning of Mass today is Latari Sunday, and so this is always the fourth week in the Sunday, uh, fourth Sunday during Lent, and that's why we wear the rose-colored vestments. It's kind of a little mini break from uh, from Lent as we look forward to Easter, as we're getting closer and closer to the joy of celebrating the Lord's resurrection, and. We have great reason to rejoice, particularly on this Sunday of Lent with these readings. We get to rejoice in God's great mercy for us. And there's really two things I want to focus on is God's great mercy for us and then how we're called to extend that mercy to others. And so we have this beautiful, famous parable of the parable of the prodigal son. And and just notice, the reason Jesus uses this parable in the first place is because the uh, Pharisees, the scribes, right, the, the religious leaders are shocked, they're scandalized that he is allowing sinners to draw near to him. And so he decides to give them a parable to show what God's mercy is like towards sinners that repent. And it shows us the great lengths that God goes, will go for us to be saved by him. All right, so as we just heard, um, it starts off with two, a father with two sons and the prodigal son he essentially tells his father that he wishes he were dead because he wants his share of the inheritance now. Normally, you only got the inheritance after your, um, after your parents passed away, in this case, the father dying. And so he's essentially telling his father, you're dead to me. I want your stuff. Give it to me and let me go. And the father certainly would have been well within his rights not to do such a thing. And yet he lets him go, right? He lets, he respects his free will, right? It's certainly... Jesus is showing that this is how our Heavenly Father treats us, right? The Father doesn't want us to wander away from his house, from union with him, but he permits us if that's what we really want. That's one of the severe mercies of of God, that he will allow us to experience the negative effects, the bad effects of sin, so that eventually, hopefully, we come to our senses and understand what it means to be apart from him. So as we hear the rest of the story, he goes off, he squanders his inheritance, and he eventually has to hire himself out to tending swine. That might sound bad enough uh, anyway, that he's dying from hunger, wants to feed on pig slop, essentially. But it would have been even worse as Jesus is telling this to a Jewish audience, because pigs, swine were considered unclean. So not only is, uh, has this son, you know, cut off relationship with his family, now he's um, tending swine, unclean animals, in a distant country, and he can't even have food from unclean animals. So this is a way of saying he's hit rock bottom, right? There's not much further down this son can go. And eventually he comes to his senses and returns to his father. And notice how the father responds to his son with this kind of reckless, ridiculous abandon to welcome him back. Jesus makes the point of the father catches him from, sees him from a far-off distance, right? Well, he sees him from afar. That implies that the father was watching, right, regularly, perhaps every day, every, every day that his son was gone, and he was going out to watch from a distance to see, is this the day my son is going to return, waiting eagerly, hoping that his son would return. And so when his son does return, he doesn't sit there and wait. He doesn't berate his son for his sins. He runs out to him, before he can even get to his father, and he doesn't even let him get through his well-rehearsed speech that he has. And he restores him to his sonship because he is delighted, he is overwhelmed with joy that his son has returned, and that his son was in this place of death, right? That's what sin does to us. 
When we wander away from God, from being in union with him, when we wander away from the state of grace through serious sin, we experience spiritual death, right? There's no other in-between place. We're either with God and in union with him, or we're slowly dying. We're dying from spiritual death because we're cut off from the source of life, which is God himself. And again, God, God responds, the Father responds with this ridiculous, overwhelming kind of generosity and mercy. I think one of the ways in which I'm able to, I'm blessed to be able to experience this personally, certainly in the sacrament of reconciliation, but this especially is clear to me. Um, I've had it happen a number of times since I've been ordained, but being able to absolve someone that's, you know, hasn't been to confession in 40 or 50 years, right, decades, and when they have a lot of stuff, right, there's been a lot that's happened in those decades, and oftentimes most of it isn't good. And then at the end of that, to be able to say those beautiful words, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, also all these sins that have been accumulated over a lifetime, they can be gone in an instant. Yes, that's what our faith teaches us, right? If we're really sorry that God, re God delights to grant us that kind of overwhelming, abundant mercy. There's nothing that we're doing, it's simply that we're returning to the source of life. And God desires us to return to him. And so that's the younger son. He is welcomed back because he recognizes that he is experiencing death apart from his father. And we have the second son, right? He's actually in a similar place as his younger brother, even though it might not appear like it, right? He doesn't abandon his father. He doesn't wander away like, the younger, like his younger brother did. But he certainly doesn't understand what it means to be in relationship with his father. Notice the father has to go out to the older son as well. Right? He refuses to come in to the father's house. He wants to be apart from the celebration because he can't believe how his father is treating his younger brother. And we know that he doesn't have a correct understanding of right relationship with the father because notice the words that he uses with his father. Right? All these years I served you. Right? I slaved for you. I didn't disobey your orders. All of his language is he's simply treating his father as though he was a divine lawgiver right with no relationship he doesn't understand what it means to be a son he looks at himself as a slave and his father is the master and so the father has to explain to him my son right he has to remind him of who he is that you're my son you're not my slave you're not my servant you are here with me always everything i have is yours and the younger son doesn't or excuse me the older son doesn't get that that everything that the father has he receives because the father delights to give it to him it's an undeserved gift from God. And notice the way that the parable ends, we don't know. We know the younger son returns. We don't know about the older son. We don't know if the older son goes back in. And Jesus probably did that intentionally as a way of highlighting that for the religious authorities that were scandalized at his acceptance of sinners. Saying that they have a choice. They have a choice to remain outside, to look at God as just this divine lawgiver that doesn't want a relationship, or we can accept, right? They can accept the relationship of love that he offers. And we have that same choice too, my brothers and sisters. Right? Whether we've been in whichever position we've been in before, whether we've um, wandered away from God through serious sin, or maybe we've you know, been Catholic and felt like good Catholics our whole life, but there's that tendency even there to look at that as simply a servant-master or slave-master relationship not understanding ourselves as beloved sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And yet, what he says to each one of us is that everything he has, everything good that God has, everything good we experience in this life is a gift from him, and it's all ours. We certainly see this 
in the Holy Eucharist, right? Every single time we come to Mass, and that's why it's important not to get used to receiving the Eucharist, is and to ask God for that grace to continually open our hearts up to the wonder of the Blessed Sacrament. Because everything good, everything good that God wants to give to us is contained in the Eucharist, right? because it's his Son, Jesus. So everything good that we can experience in this life comes to us in the Holy Eucharist. Father Gabriel, who was a Belgian Carmelite priest, he died in the 1950s. He had a beautiful reflection um, and on, on this kind of mercy that God has for us. And he says, mercy is love bending over misery to relieve it, to redeem it, to raise it up to itself. It almost seems that God, in loving us, is attracted by our weakness, not because it is lovable, but because, being infinite goodness, his compassion stoops to compensate for it by his mercy. He wants to heal our imperfection by his infinite perfection, our impurity by his purity, our weakness by his strength. Assuredly, God hates sin, but his mercy still finds a way to continue, of continuing to love the sinner. God's mercy is so immense that no misery, however great, can exhaust it. Not even the most infamous sin, provided it is repented of, can halt it. This sad power is reserved to one thing only, the proud will of man by which he shuts himself up in his wickedness, not wishing to admit how great is his need of God's infinite mercy. Those words are so beautiful because it reminds us kind of like the younger son when he's in the midst of pig slop, right, tending unclean animals, going to the lowest place, no matter how serious our sins are, if we simply want to be free of them, if we want to repent of them, it doesn't matter. I could have committed a billion mortal sins, right? If I'm sorry for them, God will extend his mercy to me. So there is always hope. We can never despair of being lost because God's mercy is greater than any sin. And as Father Gabriel mentioned, the only thing we have to fear of is that kind of prideful attitude that says, I don't need God's mercy, right? Then we're in trouble. But no matter how seriously I've sinned, if I'm sorry for it, then I can, I can experience forgiveness. I can be freed from it. So that's God's mercy for us, and that's something that should cause us great joy and happiness, that he loves us in this overabundant, overwhelming, ridiculous kind of way. Then we move to our mercy for others, how we're called to have mercy on other people. We heard in our second reading, which I think is a great bridge between these two realities, our second reading from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It says, All this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So we are ambassadors for Christ, as if God were appealing through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So St. Paul is saying that we've been entrusted, so you and I have all been entrusted as ministers of reconciliation. So we're called to bring this mercy that we've experienced into the world, right? To help others to be reconciled to God. And so how do we do that? Well, there's a number of different ways. Certainly, with our um, Lenten challenge of praying with and for others, one, a great way of doing that is, is praying for peace, right? Praying for, for peace in our homes. If there's someone that maybe we, we're struggling to forgive, or even if it's a small thing, if we're able to, pray with that person, or maybe praying with someone to help them forgive someone who's hurt them in some way. It's a great way of being a minister of reconciliation. I'd say primarily, though, you and I, we're called to forgive, right? We have to be willing to extend mercy and forgiveness to others if we want to experience that mercy that God has given to us. 
And again, just a reminder that forgiving others is a choice. It's a decision. It's an act of the will that has nothing to do with our feelings. Right? So I can forgive someone for what they've done to me. I can choose to do that. At the same time, I can have maybe some not-so-nice feelings towards them. That's okay. I simply don't allow my feelings to determine my actions. And a great way of doing this practically, I've found, is in prayer, maybe even writing it down, you know, Jesus, in your name, I choose to forgive so-and-so, whoever it might be, for whatever the offense is. Maybe it's one person that you need to forgive 50 things for. If that's the case, okay. But then just going through one by one, Jesus, in your name, I choose to forgive them for this, for this, for this. And then maybe offering a quick Hail Mary for them. And then I can trust, right, that I've really forgiven them from the heart. And if I think about that person again, or their name comes up, and those old feelings of resentment or anger might bubble up, okay, Jesus, I forgave them for this once. Help me to forgive them again. It's okay for that to be a process. But you and I have to be willing to do this, right? We have to be willing to forgive others if we want to be forgiven, if we want to experience that mercy from God. St. Peter Chrysologus reflected on this reality in a profound way. He said, if you hope for mercy, show mercy. If you look for kindness, show kindness. If you want to receive, give. If you ask for yourself what you deny to others, your asking is a mockery. Let this be the pattern for all men when they practice mercy. Show mercy to others in the same way, with the same generosity, as you want others to show mercy to you. You will not be allowed to keep what you have refused to give to others. So my brothers and sisters, as we approach this holy altar this evening, let us reflect on that reality of God's great mercy for us and his great love for us, that despite our sins, he continually offers us his love and mercy, and that everything he has, everything that he wants to give to us is contained right here in the Holy Eucharist, and he calls us to offer that same kind of love and mercy to others.